entire world is watching the presidential election in Iran. For Today's signs other of top story, what could be an historic opening with Iran. With the U.S. and Iran on the brink. Bloodshed the in the streets of Iran. The mass At protests least. in Iran are showing no signs of ending. This is Iran Uncovered, a podcast by Nufti. And in Washington, D.C., I'm your host, Cameron Consarinia. the political shockwaves rather than the physical shockwaves of the August 3rd Beirut blast that will leave the most lasting impression on Lebanon and its political future. The 185 dead, thousands of injured, hundreds of thousands homeless, and billions of dollars in damages in what used to be called the Paris on the Mediterranean have shocked the world and enraged the Lebanese people. As they poured into the streets afterwards to protest their government's abject failure, another power quickly came to be the focus of the growing crowd's ire. Iran get out so Beirut can be free, and Hezbollah is terrorist, rang the cries of hundreds of thousands of demonstrators as they hung effigies of Hassan Nasrallah, the Hezbollah chief who serves as something of a governor general of the Islamic Republic's province of Lebanon. The explosion that went off in the Hezbollah-controlled port of Beirut wasn't the only bomb that exploded in Lebanon this month. En masse, the people of Lebanon have exploded in anger at the true culprit, the Islamic Republic in Iran. Tired of being treated as colonial subjects by the occupying Islamic regime, they are throwing off Tehran's yoke and looking to build a brighter future, one independent of the Islamic Republic and its machinations, such that soon it might be said, that Paris is the Beirut on the Seine. As the people of Lebanon are fighting for their political independence, the people of Iran are fighting a war of cultural independence from the very same enemy, the Islamic Republic, and it's been waging for 41 years. To discuss that conflict today, we'll be joined by a celebrated Iranian artist. He's an Iranian musician and television host, and the lead singer and guitarist of the underground rock band Kiosk, and the former host of On Ten, a satirical news program on VOA Persian. Born and raised in Tehran, he attended the Isfahan University of Art, from which he received his master's in architecture. He moved to the United States in 2005 to release Kiosk's first album, Ordinary Man. Since then, Kiosk has released multiple albums and has toured the world. He has been an active advocate of human rights and democracy in Iran and has been invited to give speeches and lectures about Iranian cultural and social issues in various universities, including Berkeley, the University of California at Irvine, Stanford, and Harvard. Recently, he produced the hit television series Persia's Got Talent for the NBC Persian Network. Today, we're privileged to be joined by Arash Sopani. Arash, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. How, how is uh, how is the weather where you are? Where, where in the world are you now? I know I know you're always traveling all over the place. Maybe not not so much now with Corona, but wh- where do you find yourself these days? Unfortunately, not so much traveling for me these days. <laughs> but right now, I'm in Stockholm, Sweden, and the weather is very nice. It's <laughs> pretty hot for for a Swedish summer. <laughs> you, you, you guys deserve some some good weather every now and then. <laughs> Uh, Ash, I, I want to jump right into it because I'm, I'm so excited to to talk with you today. It's so different from 
the previous conversations we have and, and I imagine from the future conversations we'll have um, as well on Iran Uncovered. Um, before the Islamic Revolution in 1979, as you know uh, better than most, a lot was happening in Iran culturally. Uh, there were these international art festivals, new museums being opened all the time, burgeoning artists. A lot was happening uh, in the arts and culture scene, and, and much of that was sponsored by the Empress, uh, Farah Pahlavi. Uh, that, that all came to a halt in, in 1979 when the Islamic uh, Republic took power. Since then, how has the Islamic Republic tried to to change Iranian culture or impose its own view? And, and where are we today in terms of culture in Iran? Um, you know, uh, culture is is made uh, of many many hours of many many people doing hard work, thinking, creating, and exchanging ideas. And uh, to sabotage to or to to cut it off. Uh, it's very simple, you know, you get a regime that uh, is not interested in, in uh, cultural development of the country, it's not interested in art, it's not in the, interested in the society or, or uh, national interest of the country, and what they do is that they close down all these cultural institutions that were working perfectly and were, you know, top-notch in terms of the quality they produced, in terms of the artists they, they introduced to the world art scene, in terms of uh, the exchange they provided you know uh, it wasn't just art it was a uh, philosophy you know we had the, the the most famous thinkers visiting iran exchanging ideas with iranian professors and and, and scholars uh under under that same program the cultural development program that was uh happening especially uh, in the 70s and uh you know the, the institution for the for the youth and uh, children which created all these magnificent projects and beautiful books and, and movies and, and what have you and, and introduced so many so many talented artists to the to the world. These were all uh, happening organically with the help and support of the government, of course, but uh, allowing the artists to be who they are, allowing thinkers to be who they are, observe and 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 uh, and create uh, art and culture for for the people. And uh, the first thing that the Islamic Republic did was to, to cut and, and to uh, destroy most of these institutions. A lot of the artworks that were gathered uh, from uh, master artists were sent into basements. A lot of them have gone missing since then. Uh, very valuable paintings. Uh, a lot of museums were shut down. Uh, opera, ballet, dance companies. They were all shut down simply like that, and and uh, you know next day it was it wasn't it wasn't there anymore. Same thing with music, you know what they did to music, and especially in the first uh, decade after the revolution is it, just a tragedy. How many musicians, how many great uh, composers, had to leave the country, and uh, uh, how many talents were just you know never were uh, given the chance to perform or to 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 make music. So the first thing that they did was to cut that uh, traditional uh, and to, to cut that uh, uh, trend of uh, Iran being the uh, hotspot or being the center of the, you know, the cultural center of the rest, Western Asia. It was simply uh, overnight was, was gone and that was the first thing they did. And the second thing, they, uh, they reduced cultural product, uh, products into propaganda 
and uh, everything they've done since then using art and and any cultural uh, activity has been to serve their uh, the regime's propaganda which is not uh, in tune it's not based on uh, Iranian values and it's in, in many many times many many occasions it's uh, uh, anti-Iranian I should say and it, I think many people don't don't quite understand this aspect of of the Islamic Republic and the Islamic Revolution but we, we just this week had the passing of uh, Bahman Mufid, who was a, a really acclaimed um, artist in, in theater and in cinema, uh, in, in contemporary Iranian arts before um, the revolution. Uh, but he was, for the past 40 years, uh, banned uh, basically from performing. And I, I, th- I think many people may misconstrue uh, the Islamic Republic's limits on art uh, because they, they maybe they justify it by saying, well, they're not going to allow anti-regime uh, artists or anti-regime um, creative uh, music or plays or movies to be out there. And certainly, that's that's a part. Some of these people were anti-regime in, in their in their art, but a lot of it was was merely from the Islamic Republic's perspective an attempt to destroy culture. I mean, this, this was, from what I know, and, and you tell me, basically what the Taliban was doing, and people know what the Taliban was doing. They were not allowing women to sing. They were banning female performers. They were banning artists. They were banning all these things that people enjoyed. But we, we saw the same thing in Iran, did we not? I mean, it wasn't about politics. It didn't seem it was just crushing the culture. Is that right? That's exactly right. I think... Uh many cultural values and activities are not tolerated by the Islamic regime uh, because just like Taliban, you know, they have the same, they share the same ideology and they, they are headed towards the same goal. And uh, in, in their perfect world, in their ideal, in their um, Madinah, uh, which they're trying to establish in, in Iran or Afghanistan or elsewhere, uh, culture uh, and art is something, uh, is a nuance. It's a, it's a, uh, it's regarded as a uh, as something that uh, prevents you from um, uh, attending to your uh, religious duties, and hmm. uh, that's how they look at it. Uh, I mean, look at uh, look at what they're doing in in a, in a city like Mashhad with over I don't know three million population. Uh, you're not even allowed to sing uh, traditional music. You're not allowed to recite uh, poetry from Hafiz or Mulana uh, Rumi. Uh, I mean, how do you justify that? I mean, it's not it's not any dance music. You don't want to have a, a disco bar there, but right. you know they they don't even allow for that. So th- this is this is exactly what Taliban was doing. Uh, the Iranian regime is doing with a lot more. Uh, for I mean, uh, they're more systematic. The problem they have is that the uh, all these cultural traditions and all these uh, uh, you know artists and and art institutes and and, and active uh, artists who were inside Iran, they were just, the numbers are just so overwhelming to control for them, so they had to kind of, uh, you know, try to deviate it from, from where it was going and try to affect it in, in, in any way they could, you know, by censorship, by uh, putting a lot, a lot of artists on blacklists, you know, from musicians all the way to actors, directors, writers. They're all banned from doing what they love to do and and what they do is actually what creates our culture and and they're banned from doing that so 
uh, Islamic Republic did everything it could in its power, even more brutally than, than Taliban, to 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 go to, to a war with, with our culture. So I think that's probably obvious today. <laughs> you, you you got your start in in, in music and in this, in this underground art scene um, after the first decade of the Islamic Revolution. So after the war years, after, as, as you said, sort of this initial push to clamp down on the culture. Ha- have things changed? You know, we, we hear so much in, in the United States and the West from the regime itself, from its its uh, agents and its apologists abroad about reform and moderation and th- things like that. Did things change in Iran? What, what was it like for you being an artist in Iran and, and what did you have to face? Well, I think you need to have a clear perspective when you discuss change. You need to talk about change. Uh, what, what elements are causing that change? You know, one thing that I feel these people keep missing is, is that uh, you could not control that population, that demographic, you know, which was, I think, 70% under 30 years old when I, when, you know, at the end of the 80s uh, or beginning of the 90s. Uh, 70% of the population were below 30. Uh, you couldn't treat them the way you treated uh, their fathers 10 years ago or, the, or their brothers 10 years ago uh, with the same... Uh, it, was a, it was a different world. There was no Soviet Union. There was no... Uh, there was Internet, so there, there was access. And the population was very young, and they demanded a lot more. And what uh, the government did was just to, uh, what the regime did was just, you know, just back off a few inches, uh, and and creating this this facade of, you know, oh, reforms are happening, people are allowed to sing, or there are concerts and this and that. But but we know what was happening behind that, you know, the, behind uh, all of that show, it was to not allow any independent artists to do what they wanted to do. Uh, the artists who survived, uh, who could, you know, go and perform and, and get their works published, uh, and I'm talking about music scene, uh, were, have had to go through a, an incredibly ridiculous process of getting approval uh, for, for publishing their albums or for, for a live performance. You know, many, many times we took our lyrics to get permission to the ministry, and they would just butcher it. Uh, and any word that they found uh, that can intrigue some some sort of sentiment in, in anyone, they would just cross it out. And, and, and I'm talking about any word. Like we had this lyrics that uh, was talking about the red rain or something like that. And they crossed out all the, wherever they saw red, they crossed it out and said, you don't, you don't use that word. It's too, too uh, politically infused. Charged and, and and I think that mentality was just not to say anything that can create a wave or anything like that uh, and control artists under their own uh, supervision and guidance and okay now you're allowed to make few movies or have few concerts or do things like just to show the world that okay we're freeing up the uh, the, the society but in reality what they were doing they were targeting the independent artists and forcing them to be silent while promoting uh, a, a, a parallel uh, underground music, a parallel intellectual cinema, all these which you, you, can, you can easily find the connection with the government, where they get the money, where they get the support, how they promote and all of that, it's out there. And, uh, and many, many artists, many, many uh, very talented uh, film directors, uh, actresses, and actors and, and uh, writers and they all left d- 
during ex exactly during when the reforms were happening in Iran, during the eight years of Khatami. Most of these people left during that time. So this is all just a you know, big lie. There was no uh, fundamental change happening. And, and it, as easy as that, they changed it, and later they went back to their default. And today, you can't even have a traditional music performed in Mashhad hmm. or many other cities. So, so I don't think it, there was any change, any meaningful change happening back then. So, so, so different, different ways of, of going about the censorship, the control, the domination of the culture, but the same ultimate goal is what you're saying. This, the same ultimate uh, uh, attempt to eliminate independent sources of art and, and interpretation and culture. They haven't, they haven't changed their mind. They just changed their tactics. <laughs> and, and, and you're right. It's so interesting what you say. We see, I mean, from yourself to our film producers, to our actors, to our actresses, to our photographers. I mean, I mean anyone, so many of, of, of the most talented are in exile, in, in either self-imposed exile or forced exile. And what's interesting, when, when we talk about Iran, or when the world talks about Iran, or we Iranians talk about it, we talk pretty frequently about the brain drain that happened you know, as a result of the Islamic revolution, doctors, engineers, business people, um, you know, people who could build an economy and sustain and grow an economy all left. And we've seen the devastating economic impact that that has had. But something I think we talk less about is, is the cultural brain drain, sort of the intellectual brain drain from the artists and the musicians and the actors and, the, and people like yourself. I mean, what, what impact has that had on Iran? What, what is the state of, of culture in Iran, I mean, you referred a bit to it. You know, you can't even sing cultural music in in Mashhad, um, one of Iran's uh, ancient uh, cities. Um, but this this drain of, of culture and, and, and leaders in that space, what has been the impact? What is what is it like today? For, uh, the cultural scene in Iran. You know, uh, when we think about what is Iran, and when we look back in the history and we see, you know, the changes in the border. It has happened many, many times, and Iran has been occupied uh, a few times. And what has kept this country alive? You know, many, many other countries were in, in the same region or around the world. They disappeared. They're not, no longer around. Nobody knows what happened to uh, Finchines or, you know, what have you. Uh, but why, why was it so special about Iranians that they're still around, or, or Armenians, or, or uh, you know, there is something that keeps a nation alive, and I think, I believe strongly, and that's, that, that's their culture. Even mm. if you're occupied for hundreds of years, you will bounce back and you come back to life if you have a rich cultural heritage to, to, to build upon. And that's what has happened to Iran, and, and our culture has saved us many times. If, if Ferdowsi uh, wasn't there, if, if many of our you know, cultural figures and thinkers were not there, Iran wouldn't be here. And I'm talking about our existential uh, being. This, this, the, these borders, all, all these borders have, been, have changed throughout history, but one thing has remained, and that's being an Iranian. And when you, when you take away intellectuals, artists, free thinkers, you know, people who care about that country, uh, and you either you know, force them to leave the country, or if, you, if they're inside, like Rahman Mufid, which you just mentioned, but there are so many other artists right now in, inside Iran who are not allowed to work. Jafar Panahi, Muhammad Rasulov, you know, to, to name a few. A lot of writers are 
just not allowed to write, or uh, you know, if they write, they won't be published. Um, many, many actors and, and actresses are, are uh, blacklisted on TV and in cinema. So, so what can you do with with a country that's going through such a horrific uh, war against its culture? It's it's really, really really tragic what's happening to Iran, and if we cannot <clears throat> find a solution. Uh, to keep our culture alive, we're going we're to have existential, you know, problems in the future if if we don't have an Iranian culture that's thriving, that's uh, growing, uh, that's living, and we just freeze it in time from what happened in 1979 and just stay there, and we don't see any any cultural improvement in any way hmm. uh, in Iran. Uh, it's 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 really scary. So we have to be honest with ourselves. This yeah. is this is our. Being that's on the line, and, and it, it's interesting you, you you say that we we see almost an endorsement of of this um, elimination of culture or this war on culture on the Iranian culture by by foreigners who who come to Iran. We, we see these videos uh, pretty often. Sometimes they're the YouTube stars or the Instagram influencer who travel to Iran and and make it seem as if everything's okay. Obviously, Iran is, is a beautiful country and, and uh, the opportunity to travel there for these people is, is quite enticing. But you, you see those people, sort of the influencers, younger people. You also see, uh, you know, uh, foreign diplomats, uh, you know, travel to Iran, often female diplomats, and, and they will wear the forced hijab. Uh, something that Iranian women are are forced to wear. So this this imposed culture is is almost being accepted by by foreigners when when they come to Iran. How how do you see that? How how does you how does that make you feel as someone who's unable to be in his homeland because of your opinions, because of your art? How do you feel when you see uh, these foreigners go and 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 do these actions, which are almost an endorsement of the regime's war on culture? Well, you know, there the, are two, two things that I think I, I, I need to, um, we need to differentiate, uh, and, and they're separate, I think, two issues. Number one is, is, is uh, you know, I'm not going to even talk about the diplomats, because they, they would do anything for, for a little bit of cash. And European diplomats have really, really uh, proven that they're, uh, the last thing they care about is culture, the last thing they care about is human rights and equality, the last thing they care about is, is the well-being of their own even constituents because they are feeding the flame that's going to be uh, pretty soon at the doorstep if they don't stop it now. Uh, so I'm not even going to get into that. But uh, about you know these influencers who go to Iran, we need to we need to know that tradition is different from culture. And and each country you go to, they have beautiful places uh, dressed up for tourists to go and take their you know pictures and, and show off and you've seen you've seen that from every country Machu Picchu to to pyramids everywhere there's like one spot that everybody has to go there and take that one picture and, and Iran is no exception and a lot of the tradition that we have is, is interesting uh, to the people that have come and visit the country and and I'm talking about those who are not politically uh, aware of what's happening or not informed um, I, let's just put aside those people who are just uh, commissioned to make <laughs> Iran look something else it's not but my question is what have we contributed to to the world as a culture in the last 40 years what has been single 
uh, Iranian intellectual who said something that has meant something for the rest of the world, or 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 you know a cultural movement or or, or artistic movement that can stick. You know, we haven't been able to contribute because our culture is under attack. It's in a defensive mode. You see over and over again the images, the the artworks, the the the, the music. Everything is is looking back. Everything is looking back because it has no future to look to. Uh, the movies, when they want to show a, a woman, a man in a room, they have to make this awkward situation. It's either timeless or it's from a hundred years ago or something, just to make it look normal. Because they're not allowed to be in the same room under this condition. <laughs> so, so how could you have you know talk even talk about a cinema that wants to? How could you talk about a cinema that's not allowed to talk about love? How could you talk about the music? when you're not allowed to sing about love? Then how could you talk about music when, you, when 50% of the population are not allowed to sing? Hmm. So what is our contribution to the culture of the world? What, what have we done? Nothing. Because we are under attack. Because all our energy is being uh, spent on, on just keeping what we had. Because we are on a brutal, under brutal attack by, by a regime that's taken all the resources of these people to, to eliminate their history and their culture, cultural heritage. So uh, those are, you know, those are just shows and those are just, uh, you know, videos you can find anywhere. You can go to any country and find a beautiful spot and take a picture. But have they traveled to, uh, to the corners of the country? Have they gone and seen a, a, a Kurdish uh, woman or man having to do what they have to do right now to just to make ends meet? Uh, and this is not far from the capital. You can, you can drive 400 miles and you, you'll be somewhere that people are just... In absolute poverty, you can go to Elam, you can go to to Sistan, Baluchistan, so many places that are just because because the regime obviously doesn't care about its people. It's just centralized the power. All everything is in Tehran, and everything is under control. Because if they let the Kurdish do what they want to do, let the Kurds have you know uh, their own uh, you know celebrate their own cultural values or, or other minorities and things like that, it's it's just things get out of hand for, for them and and. The regime is really, really sensitive about not letting anyone create any sort of a, a, a product that can create any sort of a movement or get any attention. I mean, the way they treat the celebrities and how they uh, fabricate uh, these fake celebrities from <laughs> the, uh, let's say, movie industry or even the athletes, even the football players. They have a big, you know, unbelievably... Uh, control over their media uh, appearances. Who comes to TV? Who gets the interviews? Who gets promoted? Who gets to go and play in a in a foreign club? All of these are are, are guided by a set of rules uh, in, in some in some uh, uh, intelligence uh, community, and uh, they they have a very tight grip on on everything that's cultural cultural related. And this 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 moral relativism that we see. Um, people in the West not understanding or, or, or not being willing to recognize what's happening in Iran. Why is that? I mean, we, we referred earlier to the Taliban, and that was pretty widely accepted internationally what was happening. They knew of the bans on women singing. They knew, on you know, for example, the bans on, on flying kites. But in Iran, it, it, it seems that either they don't know or, or they don't care. I mean, do you have a sense of of which it which it is and why is it is it for business interests like these politicians you talk about going to Iran? Why why are why are those abroad 
so willing to turn a blind eye, it seems, to what you are, to what you refer to as this attack, this vicious attack on Iranian culture. You know, to my experience, those politicians who talk about cultural relativity, they are extremely racist. Uh, almost 99% of the time, uh, uh, not informed about the cultural heritage of Iran, and uh, they're, they're pushing an agenda. Culture uh, cannot. I mean, there are cultural values that are, if, if they're wrong, they're just wrong. And mm -hmm. most of those that they uh, they bring in. Uh, under the label of culture, it's not even culture, it's, it's part of tradition, and, and that could be wrong. Uh, culture is dynamic, culture moves, culture changes, culture is like a river, it needs to flow. Uh, if, if there is a tradition in a, in a country that you should burn uh, the widow after her husband dies, is, is that uh, acceptable? Hmm. Uh, should that be acceptable? Or, or, or the circumcision that they do in, in some countries uh, to the female infants in, in Africa, is that acceptable? Uh, these are wrong, you know, forcing hijab on women is just wrong and it's inhuman and it's not a cultural uh, value that Iranians, you know, uh, practice or, and, it's, and it's not a part of a tradition and even if it was, it's wrong. Hmm. And what, whatever is wrong needs to be changed and these are the parts that a, a, a thriving culture will put away, will they just, uh, they just get rid of the bad and the flaws and they revive, and, and they uh, reevaluate, they reform, and they move on. And that's how you can see a culture is healthy, when you see change, when you see improvement. Uh, yeah. So th this this type of you know Western uh, uh, sentimentalism, or uh, that uh, that they look at, like you know, when when I first left Iran, there was a lot of interviews that they would come to us and talk to us about, you know, oh, you're an Iranian band, and you. Uh, you play the electric guitar and you guys have long hair and you wear jeans. Oh, that's so exciting. You know, I feel like, you know, I was in a zoo mm -hmm. and people are looking at me from, you know, in my cage. Oh, dude, look at this guy. Uh, but, but that's, you know, Iran has had female singers who were just amazingly good. And now 50% of the population is not allowed to sing. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a tradition. It's not a cultural uh, value that the Westerners should just ignore. It's, it's violation of human rights, pure and simple. And there's no justification for that. Hmm. And this, this, this cultural transformation um, is, is something that the Islamic Republic also refers to. Uh, you, you, you mentioned this to me when we first spoke, and, and I found it fascinating, which is part of this, this, this cabal of, of quote-unquote reformists, quote-unquote moderates, which most everybody now knows is, is just fake. I mean, they're just part of... The regime it's just like putting lipstick on a pig really um, they have made the argument that democracy cannot take shape in Iran we will not see democracy in Iran and we can't bring about democracy because Iranians aren't ready we don't have a culture for democracy we're not ready to to get there politically because our culture isn't there what do you say to something like that that's something that the regime wants you to believe that's something that the regime is really, really investing on to be echoed uh, by its agents everywhere, uh, so that people lose the confidence that they can they're they're uh, mature enough to run their own country, and this is just not true. It's it, this is not a fact. Iran uh, had a constitution revolution uh, happen in Iran in 1906, ten years before the 
October Revolution in Russia. We had the oldest Communist Party in Asia. We've had a uh, tradition of, uh, uh, of uh, you know, constitutionalism in Iran the last hundred years, and it has worked. And people in Iran are very well informed. The demographics says, you know, uh, can can show you, you know, how, how, what percentage of this population is educated, and what percent of this population is is up to date about what's going on in the world. And they know how to, you know, what what decision is best. How come when it comes to their phony elections, same people, you know, try to convince people uh, uh, people to vote for their candidate, uh, saying, okay, this this is uh, lesser of the evil. So, if the people should be uh, able to 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 distinguish or, or to, to choose uh, the lesser of evil, they definitely know how to choose the be better candidate. <laughs> so allow them to, to speak for themselves, let them do their things, and democracy. Uh, no other country in the Middle East, and I've traveled through the Middle East, and I have a lot of you know good friends from different countries. But I think genuinely, I I, I believe there's no other country in the Middle East that is as ready for democracy as Iran is. And it's because they've been fighting for this for 120 years almost now. And this idea, uh, Iran has been in the center of the battle between the uh, uh, radical Islam and, and the modernity in, in the last 100 years. And we've seen that in the works of so many <clears throat> bright and, uh, and distinguished uh, writers and scholars and activists in the last 100 years. And uh, I think those people who, who try to uh, take, tell people that you're not, you're not ready enough for democracy are uh, just, you know, simply wrong. Arish, when we were talking earlier, you, you, you mentioned to me this interplay, this balance uh, between power and culture. C can, you, can you tell us a bit more about that? I think it goes back to the agenda that the regime is promoting these days, that the culture needs to change before there's any meaningful change in the power structure uh, or, or the political structure, rather. Uh, and I think this is just wrong. You know, y you can't bring about cultural change from the bottom. Cultural change needs to happen from from uh, from the top, and and especially in a country like Iran, where TV, uh, all the media, uh, hundred percent is owned by the government. Um, the universities, the, the schools, the textbooks, um, they're all run uh, under control of the government. All the artists, uh, art institutes and all the cultural organizations are 100% uh, run by the government uh, in one way or another. So how could you bring about a meaningful cultural change without having any of these tools, without having even one hour uh, TV program that talks about culture? Uh, and how could you fight this this huge amount of propaganda and, and, and pseudoscience and superstitious that's being aired nonstop from Iranian TV? I mean, look look at the ideas they came up with about COVID nineteen. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> right. Uh, there's 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 no way you can you can you can bring about a cultural transformation without having the political tools, and and by having a political tools, it's not, it doesn't mean necessarily that the government should be proactive. Merely by just not doing anything, people will find their way. You know, just providing the tools and the equipment and 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 the uh, places of art and just helping artists. You know, uh, not shutting down um, ballet classes or or dance companies. That that's enough. That's that's all we ask from from a government. If they want to support, even better. But but what the government of Iran is doing is is totally uh, 
uh, fighting all these uh, cultural institutions. They say culture is the mother and institutions are the, its children. What, what uh, can you name one institution that's not somehow run by the government in Iran? So how could you expect cultural change? So th that's one. Uh, and, and you know, you see that in, in countries uh, like Hong Kong, Singapore, Spain, you see that the cultural change that happened from the top and how it affected the people and in, in a very short amount of time people uh, in those countries were able to have a better life. The country got wealthier. Uh, the society was, you know, uh, doing much better. Uh, so it's, it's really connected. So you can't really expect people to change overnight and, and deal with the same political system that we have in Iran. Mm. That's one thing. The other thing I, was, I wanted to tell you, is, and it's a story that was really, really eye-opening for me. I was traveling in the Middle East in 2013, talking to uh, underground musicians in different countries about their, their problems and, and how, how do they deal with censorship and, and what are the taboo or the red lines in their country. And, and in Turkey, it was right after the Gezi Park incident. And there was this band that I was speaking to. Uh, they're, they're very famous. Uh, it's a, more like a folk band. Uh, they called uh, Kardash Turkler, and uh, they told me a very fascinating story. Uh, right when the Gezi Park incident was happening, they, they uh, released a song called uh, Pots and Pans, referring to what uh, Erdogan had said uh, about the uh, protests, that he just called it Noises of Pots and Pans or something like that. <laughs> uh, and they, they wrote a song, and the song became very viral, and everybody in Turkey knew it, and they played it. And, but what government did was, you know, uh, uh, the government, you know, somehow told them that we will n not allow you to to make m money off music anymore. And this was a very popular band back then. So what they did is that they uh, canceled all the concerts in Istanbul uh, uh, and TV networks because the the TV networks are, are uh, kind of scared of the government. Can you know it's similar to Russia, I guess. They stopped covering them. Uh, the concerts in Istanbul a few times they tried to have a concert you know these plain clothes people just came in and, and uh, disturbed people and, and kind of you know just they, they had to cancel the concert because of that so they were left with, uh, with nothing you know to do for the music and, and then they realized that there are all these small towns in Turkey uh, have their festivals have their music festivals to attract more Tourists, uh, tourists plays a big role in, in, in their economy, and EU, uh, European Union has enforced few uh, few laws. I I don't know. There's got to be a better legal term for it, but uh, uh, that uh, how the power structure in small uh, <coughs> uh, districts or, or, or municipalities should be uh, independent of the central power in Ankara, and so. The budget that they get for cultural activities, each municipality is, is allowed to, they, they just they can spend it whatever they want. If they want to have a music festival and if they want to invite certain bands, uh, government is not allowed legally to go and tell them not to do this. And all these small towns, <laughs> they were rivals because they wanted to get more tourists, so they had all these music festivals lined up. So this band, who was huge in, in, in the capital, in Istanbul, uh, sorry, they started touring in these, all these small towns, in these festivals, playing, playing these festivals and, and gathering more and more audience, actually. And actually the people that mattered. Right. And, and, and trying to, you know, they made an impact on, on, on uh, remote parts of the country by, by doing <laughs> so. So imagine if, if, the, if the central uh, government could still 
uh, force these little towns from not inviting these these bands. You would get what you get in Iran, where where you where a musician is just totally banned and he will not perform anywhere. Mm -hmm. But because of that simple rule that EU had uh, insisted to 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 be in how independent the, uh, the municipalities are wor working, they were allowed to to still be heard and play music and make money. So you see these small things that are within uh, the political structure of each country can have huge impacts on cultural development. So uh, these are just a few examples, you know, like Hong Kong, Spain, uh, Singapore, and, and this incident here that, that shows how a government can, can or, or some set of regulations can, can actually help a, a culture do better. And, and, and something you said earlier really, really struck me and really gave me hope that, you know, what is it that has sustained Iran and Iranians through all these different occupations in history? It's, it's been our culture. And, and now under the occupation of the Islamic Republic, I, I think and, and I'm hopeful, especially after this conversation with you, that, that that's what can sustain us going forward. So how do you see... The future. This this regime is going to go. We all know that uh, it's not going to stay around. The Iranian people will not stand uh, for this consistent violation of their uh, political rights, their human rights, their natural rights. So, what what role do you see uh, culture playing in Iran's future in, in this this potential renaissance uh, or revival that we're coming upon uh, in Iran? Um, well, you know, I I think. Uh one of the one of the fascinating myths or stories that you hear in many of the uh, uh, you know old stories from from the past about the kings who uh, the country was occupied and then they, uh, the the enemy forces they take away the prince and they just send him somewhere in some village some you know remote part of the country and they, he's not allowed to know about his past so he doesn't know he's a prince and he doesn't know that there's a country that's waiting for him right and uh, I think there's there's a there's a message in that and the mass that that message is is, is that uh, time and time again the occupying forces try to disconnect a nation from the past what does it mean for a prince to forget that he comes from a royal family it means that he forgets his heritage it's it's forced on him to forget his past and heritage and what where he really belongs to and that was that's what Islamic Republic is doing to us right now. They want us to forget the past. They want us to forget our glory. They want us to forget what we, what Iran stands for as a country. And uh, they have been successful in 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 many ways to to fragment the society, to break it apart. But but even 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 though that they think they've succeeded in 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 forcing us to forget what we were before. I see hope, and I see that uh, this new generation, especially, they're very informed. They're very, very in touch with the past. They know where they come from. They know where, where they want to go, and that's very important. And I think uh, anybody who's who's uh, somehow in any way involved in, in cultural activities, in, in art, art scene, they should realize that uh, it doesn't matter if you're a celebrity, if you're a famous actor, or, or, a, or a you know director, or a musician, whoever you are. You are part of this society. You're part of this nation that's under attack, and is uh, and and the government that's running the country is is trying 
to make the people forget their heritage. You have, you have a responsibility. You have to do something about it. You can't just sit aside and say, okay, I'm an artist. Uh, or, you know, I, I don't want to get involved. No, you're just like a doctor. You're just like a taxi driver. You're just like a, uh, that guy who works in a grocery or a miner or a worker. Anybody, everybody. We all have a responsibility and we have to be vocal. And if you're a celebrity and more people listen to you, then, then your responsibility is actually bigger. You need to be more involved. You need to be more vocal about what's happening to the country and take more responsibility. I think, I think if, if you all realize that, I'm hopeful. I think I, when, the, when the moment is right, these people will unite and they will be one again and they will reclaim Iran. And, uh, and this chapter, this, this uh, nightmare will be over and we just look back like the movies from the World War II era and uh, just, you know, think of uh, the times that we had to spend under this regime and just look to the future and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll gain back our rightful place in the international community. Well, I, I think you're right. I think there's hope in, in Iran's youth, in this new generation. Um, but I think so many look uh, to you and people like you for hope. And, and I think today you've, you've given us a lot of it. Um, I know it's been a long time that you haven't been able to be where I'm sure you want to be, uh, on a stage in Tehran, in Mashhad, in Tabriz, in Shiraz, uh, in Kurdish parts of the country, all over. And, um, and I know you, you in Kiosk, you just released a, a new song uh, called Ma. Uh, or moon uh, in English, and and you guys have never been uh, ones to back away or, or shy away from from uh, not politics but but justice and talking about what's right. And I think that's why you're so popular, and that's why people um, like you so much and and respect you so much. That's certainly why I respect you uh, and Kiosk so much. And so I hope that that one day soon that your, your newest song, Ma, and, and uh, many I know you'll write and perform the future that you can perform uh, in Tehran, uh, in Mashhad, in Shiraz, and we can all get together uh, for, for a great concert with you there in, in the new free Iran that uh, I'm sure isn't far away. Thank you very much. You're very kind. <laughs> thank, thank you so much again, Arash Sofani, for joining us on Iran Uncovered. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I hope that we'll have you back at some point soon. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us on episode four of Iran Uncovered. Continue to follow us and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and Telegram. And we'll see you next time.